right, guys. Good to see you again. As, uh, as I already shared with the first hour, happy Thanksgiving. I hope you guys had an awesome, wonderful time with friends and family and food and festivities and maybe football. Maybe your team won this weekend. Maybe not. It's always a, a wonderful tradition. My, it's my favorite time of the year. I think I've told you guys that plenty of times. And so we had a great Thanksgiving and just really get to soak up some time with the family. Always great. Um, hopefully you guys took the advice of Chris Ellison, who reminded all of us before the week started, you needed to set your scales back 15 pounds before the holiday season just to make sure that, you know, no, nothing drastic happens on the scales. Some of you are feeling that. I can identify with you. I, I refuse to weigh, um, at least for the next few weeks, because I'm sure we've all probably packed on a few more pounds than what we intended to, or maybe you did intend to do that. So that's good, too. It's a great time of year. It's a great time to give thanks. It's a great time to reflect. It's, it's a great time and opportunity for us um, to grow. And it's interesting that Ecclesiastes chapter 6, I didn't plan this at all. Uh, Randy was with you guys I think last week, and he preached Ecclesiastes 5, and so I'm picking up in, in chapter 6 today. And just the way that God would have it, uh, this entire chapter reminded me of how important it is for us to learn how to be content, to learn contentment. And I say that, I say that intentionally because we do not come into this world automatically and naturally knowing how to be content. How does a baby come into this world? Stiff clothes, right? A child knows nothing but what it needs. Feed me, change me, sleep me, burp me, whatever it may be. And that's just naturally how we come into this world, with, with our hands closed and if in life is about a process of learning how to what how to open those hands how to be conduits of generosity how to be people who are not looking first to their own interests but also being considerate and looking to the interests of others and we see here in Ecclesiastes chapter 6 where Solomon and let's just let's just step back for a minute and remember Solomon was probably the richest man who ever lived on the face of the earth. I mean, that could be arguable. I'm sure there's been some very wealthy monarchs out there historically. But we know at the height of Solomon's kingdom that there was so much, there was so much of an abundance of silver and gold that silver lost its value. Silver was like pennies on the street. And we can't really quantify how rich Solomon was, but I'm sure if you were to try to quantify it today, he was probably somewhere in the trillions of dollars of wealth. So this man had everything you could think a man could possibly want and imagine when it comes to wealth, to prosperity, to riches, to, to financial security. And yet, when we read Ecclesiastes, what we're going to see is that there's, there's a man here that's not content. He is struggling with the fact that after all this time, after all the wealth and after all the money that he has at his disposal, he understands. And we do believe that, that the book of Ecclesiastes was written near the end of Solomon's life. Okay, so remember Solomon, who God used, um, raised up as the king of, of Israel, 
He was, he was uh, given wisdom and wealth and prosperity like no, none other. So we know that part of his early life, he, was, he built the temple. He was, he was walking with the Lord, and then he allowed sin to enter into his life. He began to make all of these arranged marriages with all of these different queens and princesses of all these nations around the world. And when they came into Israel to live with him during these alignments, these political alignments is what they really were, but yet they brought their gods with them, and Solomon was not a strong leader, and he allowed the influence of his multiple wives to begin to bring idolatry and worship of false gods into Israel, which he participated in himself, and so he really went astray. And, and, and it's really a tragedy when you read the history of Solomon's life, the biography of his life. But here in the book of Ecclesiastes, we believe that Solomon has, has pretty much been there and done that, right? He tried everything under the sun, and it still left him wanting. And so now he's wrestling with all of this later in life, and he's looking back on his life, and he's acquired all this fame and all this fortune and all this power and all this prosperity, and he knows that death is knocking at his door. He's getting older in years. He knows he's not, he probably doesn't have that many more years left. And he knows that as soon as he dies, all that money, all that gold, all that silver, all that wealth is going to be given to somebody else. It's going to be transferred to the living. And so Solomon is here and he's, he's struggling with this. And this is the, the difficulty, as I've told you before, the book of Ecclesiastes can be a very difficult book to read if you don't put it in the proper context of the big picture. And so I want you to see here in Ecclesiastes chapter 6 what we're talking about when it means to learn, what it means as we learn to be content. It's a very appropriate message for a very appropriate time of year when we think about Thanksgiving. So turn with me to Ecclesiastes 6.1. I'm just going to work through this uh, chapter before we jump in together. It says, verse 1, chapter 6. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. Can you hear the, can you hear the consternation in his voice? He has acquired all the wealth and honor and prosperity and all this, and he realizes there's going to be somebody else to enjoy everything that I've ever had and done. And he's not, he's not happy about it. He's not happy about it. He says, if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better than him. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he does. E even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the same place. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? What does the poor man who has... who Excuse me, what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Now listen to verse 9. Verse 9 is really the critical key verse in this whole chapter. I want you to underline it if you want to or just make a note of it. But listen to what he says. Better is the sight of the eyes than wandering of the appetite. 
In other words, it is better to appreciate what you have than to continue to wander and chase the desires and the carnal appetites of your life. That's what he's saying here. Better is the, eye, the sight of the eyes to give thanks for what you have than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and it's chasing after the wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named and it is known what man is that he is not able to dispute one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. What is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives? The days of his life in vain, which he passes like a shadow, for who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? So again, you, you just read this chapter and you're like, man, it's depressing. Like Solomon is frustrated. He's angry. He's not content. He's, he's looking back on his life and he's like, you know what? It's not fair. Basically, that's the tone that I'm hearing from me. It's really not fair for a man to have all this wealth and prosperity, to have all of these children, and yet he doesn't even get to enjoy them because he is going to what? He's going to die. And everybody goes to that point. Everybody must face the reality of death. So what do we do in light of all of this? Well, we learn to be content. So I'm going to give you three very simple things today that I want to glean from this passage. And the first one is that God has promised to provide everything we need and more, okay? So therefore, we need to learn to be what? Grateful. Now, the key to all three of these lessons today is that these are learning processes. As I said before, it doesn't come naturally. Therefore, we, we must what? We must learn. We must learn how to be grateful. And the reason that we can be grateful and that we should learn to be grateful is that because we understand that God has promised to provide. He is the Lord our God. He is the provider. God has promised to provide everything that we need and more. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, what did he say? He taught them to pray this, give us this, this day, our daily bread. He's hearkening back to the children of Israel in the wilderness when the Lord sent them manna from heaven. And he sent them just enough manna for each what? For each day. He would come outside in the morning, there on the ground, this bread from heaven, this angel's food would come down, and each person in the camp would have just enough food to make just enough food for their family for the day. What would happen if they tried to gather more than they needed? It'd rotten. It turned sour and rotten and maggots and things would, would fester in the, in the bread, right? So what was God trying to teach them the lesson? He's trying to, you have enough. Trust me to provide enough for you this day. What God is talking about here and what we're learning when we learn to be grateful, we're learning daily dependence on God. Jesus said it this way. Don't worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat or drink, he said, God knows that you need these things. And we do. These are necessities. Clothing, shelter, food, water, medicine. These are things that God knows and he understands that we need. But then he, he challenges us to remember that, listen, God is your father. You are his children. He loves you. He will give you good gifts. You can trust him. But what I want you to do, my children, is I want you to seek first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
And then when our priorities are in order, then what does he say? All of these other things will be given to you, added to your life. It's always about the priority that God is challenging us to have when it comes to our relationship with him. He says the pagans chase after food and drink and clothing and they're, they're desperately anxious. They're, they're never completely at peace because the way that the pagans dealt with their gods was that they never knew whether their gods were happy with them or not. And so they, it was just basically a coin flip. They never had that assurance that their gods were going to be good to them and give them the crops and give them the rains for the, for the growing season and give them the harvest that they needed to survive another year. So they were living in constant anxiety. God said, don't be like the pagans that chase after all of these things. He says, I'm a different God. I'm your heavenly father. I love you. But he says, I will give you everything that you need. Psalm 37, listen to this. David writes, he says, I once was young and now I'm old. And yet never have I seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. They are ever generous and quick to lend and their children are a blessing. So we all understand that there's a difference between what we need and what we want. Now, God will always give us what we need. And he may or may not give us what we want. Sometimes he will give us the desires of our heart, right? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you what? The desires of your heart. There's nothing wrong for asking for things beyond our basic necessities. Nothing wrong with that at all. And sometimes God is faithful to answer those prayers or to give us those things that we want. But see, it has to be in alignment with his what? With his heart. And so whenever we begin to get off track and we begin, we begin to want things selfishly or pridefully or greedily, you see, God knows what's best for us. As a good father, he always has promised to give us what we need, and he always wants what is best for us. So sometimes he may not give us what we want because it's not what is what? What's best for us. Parents, we understand this, right? We don't always just give in to every little thing that our children ask us for because we are looking at it from a bigger perspective. As parents, we're supposed to be wiser than our children. We're supposed to want what is best for them. What would our children be like if we gave them everything that they wanted? Like some of the children I've seen these days. Just a little bit spoiled, right? A little bit un-what? Grateful? See, when you give a child everything that it wants and you never tell a child no, does that child have gratitude? No, it does not. So God has to teach us gratitude by not always necessarily giving us everything that we want exactly when we want it and exactly at the time that we want it. But he's always trusted to give us what we need. And so when we learn to practice gratitude, we have so many reasons to be thankful. We have so many blessings to count. Even on our worst day, and we've had some bad days, haven't we? If you've lived any kind of life, you've had some bad days. Some terrible days, some tragic days. Even on your worst day, God is still good. And we still have things to be what? We still have things to be thankful for. That's hard. I know it's not easy. It'd be hard. But that's the truth. I look at my life and I think that God's still trying to teach me how to be grateful. In other words, I haven't graduated yet on gratitude. 
and I'll be willing to bet that most of us in this room today haven't graduated on gratitude yet either. And that's why we're still constantly what? Learning and growing, or at least we should be. And we'll probably be doing that the rest of our lives. But we should be learning and we should be maturing and we should be growing in gratitude. Let me give you a couple of quotes. It says, he is a wise man who does not grieve for the things which he has not, but he rejoices for the things that he has. It says, we can complain because rose bushes have thorns, but we should rejoice because thorns have roses. And you can get in, you know, what are we talking about? Glass half, glass half empty, glass half full person. And then you have, you know, people say, well, you're always looking at the best and the most positive, and then there is part of us in life we need to be realistic about things. I understand that. Like, there's realists in the world, and we need realists in the world to remind us of everything is not just, you know, pie in the sky and all that kind of stuff. I get all of that, but what God is trying to teach us in gratitude is, is understanding our attitude. Gratitude is a proper attitude. It's what it really boils down to. Understanding who God is is understanding that he will give us everything that we need. Okay? One single grateful thought. Listen to this. I love it. One single grateful thought raised to heaven is the most perfect prayer. Have gratitude for all that you have, and you can be happy exactly where you are. And the last one, it says, gratitude turns what we have into enough. Think about that. If you're, if you're at a place in your life where, where what you have is not enough, when you learn to practice gratitude, all of a sudden what you have becomes what? It does become enough. Because what you have is irrelevant. It's all about your perspective. It's all about your attitude toward God and what he has given you and how good he remains regardless of what you have or what you do not have. You know, guys, one of the things I love about this church is our is our willingness to give and to serve and to help those who are in need. Two of, the, two of the most amazing ministries that we have going on in our church, you guys, many of you are involved in these. Every week we have our uh, team of Jackson Avenue Eternal Bread Ministry. People go out, not just to Jackson Avenue, but go out all over Memphis giving hot meals and, and necessities to people who are out on the street living homeless, literally do not have their basic needs met. They don't have their food. They typically don't have shelter. That's part of what we do. It's an amazing ministry. And then every third Saturday of the month, we have our help group, where I think in, in November we had, it was over 600, Chris. Almost 600 people came through this church looking for, for food, and we were able to supply that because God has been good to us, and, we, and we've got people like Chris and our uh, help group team that is, is able to meet those needs and give to people. And this is what, what has dawned on me. If you come in here any Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays, we, we make our runs to the local grocery stores all over Memphis. You know, we, we've got partnerships with grocery stores. And what we do is that once their items get to a certain uh, expiration date, it doesn't mean that the food's bad. As a matter of fact, most of the time it's still very good. I eat it all the time, just to be honest with you. But that grocery store is required to do what? Throw that food away. 
Now, we can't even fathom living here in the United States of America. I want you to think about this. If you come here on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and our help group team has been out getting groceries from all of these grocery stores, and it's just a handful of them that we partner with, and we bring this food into this gymnasium, guys, it is unbelievable. You're talking about steak and chicken and vegetables and bread, food that you could not even imagine. And if we had not gotten that food and partnered with those grocery stores, what would have happened to that food? We'd have thrown it away. So what does that mean? All the other grocery stores in Memphis and all over this nation, if there's not somebody partnering with them to get that food, to give it to somebody who's less fortunate than they are, what's happening to all that food? We're throwing it away. Do you know how much food we waste and throw away here in the United States of America? It is unbelievable. See, we live like nobody else in the world. We really do. And we don't even, we, we just, we, we don't even think twice about it. We throw food away. I mean, and that's just the way it is, but there are people living in all over the world in other countries who would just be appalled. They would not be able to understand. They couldn't even process the, the amount of good food that's thrown away on a daily basis. And so when it, when it comes down the next time when you're struggling, and maybe you don't have what you want, maybe things aren't just going the way that you think that they are, just stop and think about how blessed you are just to live in America. You can turn on the water and there's fresh water. You can have hot showers any day of the week. Got air conditioning, climate control, food to eat. I mean, really, guys, really, we have everything that we want and more and more. And so it's all about learning to see that there's something to be thankful for. There's a, a gentleman in one of the first churches I served in and it respected him a lot. And he told me this, it stuck with me, just one of the sayings that I always I'll share this sometimes with people, and I think it's a good one. You can, you can add this one to your, uh, to your list, right? He said, every day is a good day. Some are just what? Better than others. It's a good way to look at life, right? Some days are better than others. Amen. I know that. Had some rough ones. You've had some rough ones. But every day is what? Every day is a good day. So it's in his time and in his way. And it's ultimately for his glory. God will give you what you need. So we need to learn how to keep that proper perspective and maintain a spirit of thankfulness, a spirit of gratefulness. We learn to be grateful. Number two, God has promised never to leave or forsake us so we can learn to be content. Okay? Learn to be content. Now, here's, here's what I want you to see in this message, that each, each of these truths, each, each of these spiritual disciplines build on each other. So when you learn to have a spirit of gratitude in your life and, and, and understanding God's provision and proper perspective, and you have that spirit of thankfulness and, and gratefulness, then you can experience what it means to be content. See, gratitude changes us to be satisfied and to be content with what we have. So if you don't have gratitude, guess what? You're not going to be content. But if you learn to become grateful and you have gratitude, then you can have contentment. Gratitude always yields contentment. Let me read a couple of verses from the scriptures. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 13. It says, 
keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Now, he's going to tell us why. For God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And so I began to think about that. I'm like, okay, what is this connection with, with us understanding that God is always there? He's, he'll never leave us. Why should that lead us to be content? And I'm going to answer that for you in just a minute. So there's a connection with us understanding as God's children, we will never be alone. He will never leave us alone. He will never forsake us. Because of that reality and that truth, we learn to be content with what we have and where we are and with with whatever circumstances are going on in our life. Let me read another scripture from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. He He says, of course, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, And so we cannot carry anything out of it. That's what Solomon's struggling with, right? Man, I acquired all of this. But I'm getting older, death is coming, and I can't take what? I can't take any of it with me. He's really really hurt about this. He's really upset about it. But we have to be reminded that we didn't bring anything into the world, and we're not able to take what? Anything out of it said it before how many times do we see a u-haul following a herd it doesn't happen we can't take the stuff and the possessions that we have with us but listen to what paul says he says we cannot carry anything out of the world but if we have food and clothing we will be content with these those who desire to be rich however fall into temptation because they're becoming snared by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is not the root of evil. How many of you are going to use money today? Probably all of us. How many of you have used money to help people before? All of you. You've used money. It's neutral. Money is not evil. It's the what? The love of money. It's when we begin to love and desire that more than we are content with our relationship with God. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, because by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Um, I often wonder, you know, you ever play the lottery game? What would I do if I hit the lottery? Let me tell you what you'd probably do. Destroy your life. I really, I really think about that a lot, you know, because I, I, I do that. I'm just like anybody else. Oh, man, the lottery's up to $400 million. Wow, what could I do with $400 million? Probably would destroy my life. It would probably ruin me and you. As a matter of fact, if you go back, there's, there's so many testimonies about people who hit the lottery, and, and the recurring, most common theme with all of these people's lives is they end up doing what? They end up ruining their lives and destroying everything around them. Because, see, all that more money is going to do in your life, it's not going to change you. It's just going to reveal who you, who you really are. 
just going to reveal the character of who you really are. So if you're not being faithful with what you have right now and you're not content with what you have right now, why would you be faithful and content with $100 million? You wouldn't. It's only going to expose the sinful desires of your heart more than it's going to reveal the good parts of our character. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He says that we can be content with what we have. Now, like I said before, there's nothing wrong with being rich. There's many people, as Solomon was, very wealthy. Abraham, very wealthy. Joseph, very wealthy. There's people in the scriptures that helped the early New Testament church who were very wealthy. And they were using that, those resources and that money for God's glory and for God's kingdom. And there's nothing wrong in the world for pursuing success and careers and professions and, and being financially stable and all of those things. Nothing in the world wrong with that. That's not what I'm talking about. God needs believers sometimes. I shouldn't say God needs. God uses believers who have access to resources and money to advance his what? To advance his kingdom. I understand all of that. But don't get caught in the trap that we are not content because we don't have what we want. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. And this is where we get this idea of learning to be content. He says, listen to what Paul, I'm going to read this from Philippians 4. Paul again's writing. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you've revived your concern for me, for you indeed were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And I'm not saying this out of need, for I have learned to be content regardless of my circumstances. I know how to live humbly, and I know what it means to abound. I'm accustomed to any and every situation to being filled and being hungry, to having plenty and having need, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You see how he makes that connection? Paul's saying, I had to learn how to be content. Paul probably grew up in a very well-educated, wealthy home. He was a Pharisee. He was part of the upper class. He knew what it was like to be wealthy. And then he went after Christ, and everywhere he turned, he was being what? Persecuted, thrown into prison beaten near the ends of his life, he learned what it means to be what? Content. And he says, listen, I've had a lot. I've had plenty, and then I've been in need. I know what it means to have my belly full, and I know what it means to be starving to death. He says, but I'm learning how to be content in all circumstances, but what is the key? Because he can do all things through Think about it. What did Hebrews 13 tell us? It said, Learn to be content because never will I leave you, forsake you. If you have Christ, you have what? Everything. You have everything. If you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ and he is with you, he lives in you and me, what more do we really need? Ultimately, we really don't need anything else. If you have Christ, you can do all things through him who gives us strength to endure any and every circumstance or situation because he will never leave or forsake us so that no matter what you're going through, he is right there with you, and that is enough, and it should be enough for you and me to be content. That's what that really boils down to. So we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. God is enough, his presence, his peace, his life, his love, and honestly, guys, I look at my life, and there's so many times when I live my life with 
where I was not content, I was not grateful. And all I was saying to God was, Lord, you're, you're not what? You're not enough. If only I had this. If only this worked out. If only that worked out. Then I would be what? Happy. But that's not the way that it works, is it? See, God is trying to get us to a point to learn how to be content in every single circumstance and situation. Did I say it was easy? No. That's why we have to what? We have to learn it. We have to grow in that. Okay? It's not easy. These things, again, they do not come naturally. So the first thing is that we learn gratitude. We learn to be grateful. The second thing is that we learn to be what? Content. And then if we are grateful, we will be content. And if we are content, guess what it will do? We will learn to be generous. We will learn to be generous. God will reward us both in this life and the life to come so that we can learn to be generous. Do you remember what I told you about being born into the world? A baby comes into the world, but this. A child does not know how to be generous. Put a couple of two-year-olds in a room full of toys to see how generous they are. Right? A child has to what? Learn. Learn how to open those hands and be generous. And we, like as adults, we act more like children sometimes than the children do. And we still live like this. And God is trying to teach us to have a spirit of gratitude, to be grateful, to learn to be content with what we have and where we are because God is with us and never, he's never going to leave us. And when we have that kind of um, spiritual posture, we have that kind of perspective, then we will look around beyond ourselves and we will begin to see other people in our lives who have needs, and then we will learn to open up our hands and be generous to give. What did Jesus tell us? It is better to what? Give than to receive. I always talk about this with my family. I talk about it with people during this time of year, Christmas time, gift-giving time. And I'm like, our kids, and you think of our children, I bet you they probably don't remember what they got for Christmas last year, maybe two years ago. I mean, unless it was just some phenomenal gift that they've always wanted or whatever, I get that. Yeah, maybe they remember that one gift or something. But let's just be honest. If you have a child and they get gifts for Christmas, they get showered with all of these gifts, they don't remember what they got last year. They don't remember what they got a year from now, two years from now. But I guarantee you, if you will take your children and you will... You will let them experience what it means to give to the less fortunate. Will you give them the opportunity to help somebody else who is in need during this Christmas season? I promise you, that child will never what? They'll never forget that. But matter of fact, I, I've heard even my children say there's, there's been times when our family blessed another family or part of our, our small group or Sunday school class where we, we went in together to help another family in need and we were able to bring them food and toys for their kids or whatever it may be. You find somebody that's in need and you, you bless that family. And to this day, I know our children, they have never forgotten that. Why? Because it's better to what? It's better to give than to receive. And so we learn to live generous lives. So let's talk real quick about what is our reward in this life? 
See, I, I made sure that you understood that when we live generous lives, we will be rewarded. We will be rewarded both in this life and in the life to come. So what is our reward in this life? Will we always get a thank you? No. Will we always get recognition? Maybe not. As a matter of fact, what did the Jesus tell us? Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. We shouldn't be generous so that other people would see us and recognize us and pat us on the back and, oh, look how good of a person that is. That's one of the reasons why I think I have a problem with people that put stuff on Facebook and social media showing people how generous they are to all of these other people who are less fortunate in need. I, I just have a problem with that. If you're doing it, do it for the what? For the glory of the Lord. Do it for the right reasons. Now, I'm not saying they're necessarily bad or wrong for doing that, but at the end of the day, you don't have to put that stuff out there because there's one person who always sees and knows what kind of a life that you're living. Who is that? He does. God does. And so, what is our reward in this life? Well, I'll give you a couple of ideas. Number one, you're going to be happier. You're going to be happier if you are giving and you're living a generous life. If you're struggling with depression, if you're struggling with anxiety, if you're struggling with negative thoughts, one of the greatest remedies for that is go find somebody who's in need, who's less fortunate for you than you are, and just go what? Just go help them. I promise you, you will feel what? You're going to feel better. I promise you. Better than any medicine you could take. Because there's something about giving to other people and helping those who are in need. It's just going to make you happier right now you're going to be satisfied because you're going to be doing that which christ called us to do this is the highest capacity that christ called us to do he said you are to love your fellow man serve one another right so when we're doing those things we're operating in the spirit of christ and we're operating in the way that god created us to operate you're going to be satisfied you're going to be content when you live a life of generosity when you live a life of generosity you experience the presence of Christ. You are being his hands and what? His feet. So if God's going to help people in the world today, he's going to do it through who? Through you and me. Isn't that what James talks about? James says, well, if you see somebody who's naked and, and hungry, you just don't go look at them and say, well, go be clothed and be fed and be warm. Do you? That's not the way it works, is it? He says, no, you go and be the one to meet that person's needs and provide for them. If God puts that opportunity in your, in your path. Because faith without works is dead. So it's faith in action. You get to live your life in a, as a servant of Christ. And that's part of who we are and what we are saved for. And then there's joy that comes from serving others and putting others above ourselves. There's joy. I think that a lot of people in the world today are not full of joy is because they've forgotten this one little simple truth. Because the more that we serve ourselves and only want to look inward at ourselves, honestly, guys, that kills that joy for us. We'll never be as happy and fulfilled and content and joyful just looking to our own needs than we were, than we will be if we're helping and serving others. So those are just a few things that we will experience in this life and we will be rewarded. But then what about in the life to come? What about the life to come? Jesus talks a lot about this. In Revelation 22, listen to this. It says, Jesus is speaking. He says, Behold, I am coming soon, 
and my reward is with me to give each one according to what he has done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last, the beginning and the end. When Jesus returns, there will be a day of reckoning. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And we as believers, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ where there is no more condemnation in Christ Jesus. It's not just judgment as far as being condemned, but it will be a judgment as a sense of what we will be rewarded with. And guys, heaven will not be equal for everybody. Did you know that? Some people, according to what they have done and do in this life, they will be rewarded more than you and me. And some people who have done less in this life, according to what they have done by faith in this life, they will be rewarded less than you and than me. And so we have to understand that we are going to receive a judgment, a reward for that which we do in this life. What did Jesus say? He said, store up your treasure in heaven. In other words, make investments in the future. Be a smart investor. Invest in those things that cannot be stolen or corrupted or fade away. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give, the to, give them to the poor. Provide yourselves with purses that will not wear out and an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I used to read that verse to say that where your heart is, there your treasure will be. That's not what he said. What did he say? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. You understand what he's saying? He's saying the things that we invest our what? Our money in, that's where our allegiance is going to be. If you invest your money in the stock market, guess what you're going to be checking every single day? The stock market, that's where your heart's going to be. If you invest your money in, in this or that, if you invest your money in sports, say you're a big sports fan and you, you go tailgating, you buy all the tickets and you, and you, and you uh, spend all the money and buy all the jerseys, guess where you're going to be every Saturday? At the football game. Why? Because wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. But if you're investing your treasure in the things to come in the kingdom of God, that's where your heart, that's where your loyalty, that's where your time and your resources are going to be spent. It's very powerful where we invest our money. So wherever it is that you invest your treasure, that is where your heart is going to be. So I'm going to read one more passage of Scripture. And I'm done. And this is, a, this is a parable that Jesus tells us in the Gospel of Luke. If you want to turn there, this is where we're going to finish up today. Let me see if I can. I didn't have my reference here. It's bad of me. I can find it real quick. Um, look to Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, verse 13. We're going to finish right here. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. 
So someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, times, things have not changed very much, have they? That's what Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. If you ever want to see the true nature of a family and how they care for each, each other, just put them through a, an estate sale. Terrible. Just people fighting and just disowning each other, never talk to each other. I know people who have not talked to their siblings for 50 years because of what happened when they went to their estate sale. Terrible stuff. So again, nothing new under the sun. So apparently these guys are fighting over their inheritance, right? Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said, listen, man who appointed me to judge or be executor between you. And he said to them, watch out, guard yourselves against every form of greed, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. Now he's going to tell us a parable, okay? And this is where we're going to finish today, so stay with me. He says, he told them a parable. He said, the ground of a certain rich man produced an abundance. And he thought to himself, what shall I do since I have nowhere to store my crops? He's having a good year, right? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And there I will store up all my grain. Look at, listen to what he's saying. All what? All my grain. All my goods. And then I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take it easy, Eagles fan. Classic Eagles song, right? Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Have your full. Have your fill. But look at what God said to him. You fool. Isn't this what Solomon's talking about in the book of Ecclesiastes? It's vanity. It's meaningless. You're a fool if you think that you're going to take all of this stuff with you. Look at what God said to this man. You're a fool. This very night, your life will be required of you. Then, who will own what you have accumulated? He's going to have to give it to somebody else. Maybe his children, maybe not. Now look at verse 21. This is where I want to close. This is how it will be for anyone who stores for himself, but is not rich toward God. What does it mean to be rich toward God? Let me tell you. It means to be grateful, content, and what? Simple. This man was not grateful. He was not content. And he was not what? Simple. In all the years he thought he would spend in eating and drinking and being merry, he did not know that his life was required of him that very night. And he failed. He failed God. And he failed those around him. Because he was not a generous man. He was not a grateful man. He was not a content man. So again, I want to stress, it doesn't mean that it's bad to be rich. It doesn't mean that it's bad to be blessed. It's not that. It's that if you happen to be blessed and have resources and have wealth and have these things that some people do not have, it's fine. But use them not to be rich toward yourself. Use them to be rich toward God. And then you will be blessed even more. And so as our praise team comes back up, I just want to want to share with you your very last kind of takeaway, your application for the day. 
to be rich toward God. We learn to be grateful. We learn to be content. And we learn to be generous. Now, I'm going to say this, okay? To be ungrateful, which I have been, is a sin. You hear me? To be discontent, which I have been, is a what? It's a sin. To be greedy and not generous is what? It's a sin. So these things are not just good for us to learn to be, but ultimately they are imperative. They're commands that we are to be generous, to be content, to be grateful, because this is what God has commanded us to do. So we learn to be content with what you have by remembering that God is always more than enough. I'm going to say this one last thing before we sing. You've probably heard me say it before, and and I have to remind myself of it often. But you never really know that God is all you need until you come to the place where God is all you have. So until you realize that God is all you have, you don't really understand that he's all you, all you really what? He's all you really need. And I don't know why our, we have to learn the hard way, and I've had to learn these things the hard way, but sometimes in my life, God has to get me to the place where he teaches me, hey, you, I'm all you got. I'm all you got. And when we get to that place, it's not a bad place to be. It's a good place to be because he's reminding us, yeah, I am all you have. And guess what? I'm all you need. That's what it means to learn to be content. So, guys, if you would, we're going to pray. And I want you to stand with us. And we're going to sing 10,000 reasons, reasons that we have so much to be thankful for, so many reasons to thank God. So let's stand together as we pray. Heavenly Father, in this time of thanksgiving and just reflecting on how blessed we truly are in this life, and especially in this nation, this uh, a land of abundance and prosperity, Lord, where all of us are so much more blessed than we probably care to acknowledge or, or realize, and and that's okay, God, because we, we don't live in, in other parts of the world where people are, are really hurting and struggling, and, and we don't have anything really to, to, to go by, but, but our reality, our, our culture, the, the nation in which we live. So we, we are blessed, God. We, we have abundance. We have things that are, that are so much more than we need. And so, God, I just pray that starting with me and, and our people, that, that you would be, help us to continue to learn, Lord, what it means just to be grateful have thankful hearts, what it means to be content, knowing that you're with us, that you're never going to leave us, Lord, and then to live generous lives. And Lord, we'll be happier, and we'll be blessed, and, and, and we'll, we'll be satisfied, and we'll experience joy, Lord, when we learn to give to those who are in need and to help those around us. And God, I just pray that all of us would take this, this message to heart and that we would begin to make those, those small changes in our life, Lord, to live this out before you, Lord, for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.